0: Okay, so we're on Dav mem vav, we're on mem Bet. 10 lines from the bottom. It goes back to quote a statement that was said before. The rainwater that collects in uh, pits is going to belong to, is going to be Kol koladam, meaning whoever picks it up, it's going to belong to, it's going to go according to their tuchum. So it says, why doesn't it actually really, uh, what should happen is since the rain fell, on Yom Tov, and we assume that the rain is evaporated water from the ocean, so really its place should be the ocean. In other words, if Yom Tov began and it was in the ocean, then evaporated into clouds and then it rained, so uh, then really the the, the ocean should be its tchum, and since now it's out of its tchum, because it came to the city and it rained on it, so really it should have a limit of only four amot that's able to travel, just like anyone else who ends up out of the tchum. So why is it that it's allowed to go anywhere? So it's, so it's, a, it, this would seem to contradict Rabbi Eliezer, because Rabbi Eliezer said that the whole world drinks water from the water of the ocean. In other words, the water of the ocean evaporates and then comes in the form of rain. And so the implication is that really we should, inter- we should see this rain as having been, um, uh, acquired its, its, its resting place in the ocean. So, we're talking about clouds that already existed on Erev Yom Tov. Since they already existed on Erev Yom Tov, that means that the water had not was not in the ocean at the beginning of Yom Tov. So it didn't become it didn't it didn't define its place on Yom Tov as being in the in the ocean. It was already in the sky, and so therefore it doesn't have a tachum. If not, if it happened, the, the implication is if not, then it would be a problem. That's that's the, that's why he's giving an answer. He's saying if it, the, the assumption is that if it were in the ocean, it would be bad. But how do you know that? Maybe the clouds that you see now are different clouds. Maybe the original clouds that you saw that were from Erev Yom Tov, yes, evaporated before Yom Tov, but the ones you see now are new clouds. How do you know? It says, You could tell that these are the same clouds. They're making a case to make it work. Okay, The case that makes it work is that it was already cloudy from Erev Yom Tov. It looks like exactly the same clouds. That water was not in the ocean <coughs> when Yom Tov began, and therefore it didn't have a defined by the ocean. So then the the Gemara says, alternatively, alternatively, it could just be that it's a doubt. We don't know if those are the same clouds, but we say in general that a doubt regarding uh, anything that is rabbinic, we say it's uh, it's lenient, right? So therefore, since we don't know if these are the same clouds or not, we'll assume that they are. So why don't you say that the water that is now evaporated in the clouds, it's makom, its location for Shabbat is the sky. And therefore, definitely, it's outside of its tchum if it fell down from the, from the, the clouds, right? So it says, no, because, you can learn from this, that, that above ten t'ochim, there's no concept of tchum. So if a person were to travel above ten t'ochim all the way, there's no concept of tchum, or be located above ten t'ochim, there's no concept of tchum there. It only applies when you're on the earth because the, you see that the water that's in the sky that isn't considered to have a tchum of, of shamaim, so the Because if there is a concept of tchum, even in the sky, so then this water should have been, that was in the clouds, should have been uh, you know established its residence, so to speak, in the clouds. And now when it comes down, it's outside of its tchum, and he shouldn't be able to move it. Or at least not more than four amot. So it says, Really, you could say that it's not a definite proof. Because really there could be that, that above up in the sky there is tchum, but but the thing is, Mivla but water is absorbed into the cloud. In other words, it doesn't have a separate existence, so it can't establish a location because it's absorbed in the cloud. Okay, that's the reason. says But that's another problem, which is the problem of nolad. Nolad is a type of muktzeh, something that comes into existence on Shabbat or Yom Tov for the first time. So that's the type of muktzeh. So then that should make all rainwater that you find on the ground, or snow that you find on the ground, it should be nolad. It should be muktzeh, because it's a new entity. So that's even worse. So now not only do you have the issue of tchum, you have the issue of muktzeh. So it says, The thing is that the water that's in the clouds moves around. Look, the clouds are moving around and it's not stationary. So therefore, it's not considered to establish a residence in a certain location. It's not about the height. It's the fact that clouds are mobile. So you can't really say that they established any kind of location. So and once we have that concept, we can say the same thing about the ocean. that We'll say that the water that's in the ocean is also not considered to have a fixed location. So even if, the water actually evaporated on Yom Tov and then came back down in the form of rain. It still wouldn't be considered outside its home because it never was considered to have a residence or location in the ocean either because the ocean is constantly in flux. It's constantly moving. We learned about rivers that are flowing and springs that are, you know, have water coming out of them. A person can take from that water and take wherever he's, wherever he's going. In other words, that water is by its nature in motion, and only things that, in their nature, have rest and stop are things that are going to have a concept of tachum. Amra Rabbi Yaakov Amra Amar Rabbi Ben Levi, Halacha Rabbi Yochanan Ben Nuri. So Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi said the halacha follows Rabbi Yochanan Ben Nuri. And in order to know what he's talking about, you have to go back to the Mishnah. Mishnah said Rabbi Yochanan Ben Nuri said that if a person falls asleep. And he doesn't realize it became Shabbat. He gets a there. The rabbis are actually more strict. They say since he's outside of his tchum, and he didn't intend to have a new tchum, now he has only four amot that he can move. Because if you make yourself, in other words, if you, if you're in, if you were in your city and you fell asleep, so you already have a defined tchum of 2,000 amot outside of your city. If you're outside of the tchum of your city, Okay, and you put a, or at the edge of it, and you put a, um, you put an eruvet Tchum in there, then you can extend. But if you are outside in the, uh, you know, outside of the Tchum of where you came from, when Shabbat begins, so you can establish that as your residence, and now you'll get 2,000 Damot in every direction. But if you didn't establish it as your residence, that just means you're outside of your Tchum. In other words, you didn't make make a new residence. If you make a new residence, now you can have 2,000 damot in every direction. You decide you're camping out for Shabbat. So you go into the forest, and it's way outside the tchum of your neighborhood. You go and you camp out in the forest. So now you have, from your campsite, you have 2,000 damot in every direction. Okay, Even though you're very far from home, it doesn't matter. You establish a new residence. But what if you're walking in the forest and you fall asleep on a tree and you're outside of the tchum? And now Shabbat started, and you realize you're under a tree, sleeping, having a nap, and Shabbat already started. So on one hand, you're outside the tchum of your house, of your home, because you went to the forest. On the other hand, you didn't intend to make a new shvita. You didn't intend to make a new resting place in uh, in the forest. So you don't have the benefit of the tchum. So the rabbis say you get nothing. You can only move four amot from where you are. Because you're, you don't have any tchot. According to Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri, you fell asleep, it's okay. We automatically give you those 2,000 damot in every direction and you're good. You can't go back to your house, maybe, because you're too far away, but you have 2,000 damot in every direction from where you are. And said that, Rabbi Yochanan ben Uri, okay, now, He said to him, did you hear this explicitly or you inferred it, you figured it out from something else that you heard? He said, I heard it explicitly. So my klala, what general rule would he have derived it from? In other words, he said, I heard it explicitly. But there were, for some reason, for some reason, the possibility, Rabbi Zerah thought, it might be that he was just figuring it out from a general rule. And not that he heard it specifically. What general rule would lead to that conclusion? Because maybe you'll say that in general, Rabbi Yosho Ben Levi said that the halacha goes by the, by the lenient person when it comes to eruvin. Now, this is not talking about the eruv around the city. This is oftentimes misinterpreted and distorted, actually. Sometimes willfully and on purpose to refer to the Eruv around the city, the the this the wire that goes around to make to allow people to carry. It. They say, "Oh, halacha mekil That is not correct. That is not called an eruv in halacha. That's called a Tzurat petach right? So when the Gemara is talking about eruv, it's talking about eruvet and Tchumin which are rabbinic concepts that you know either. Permit the prohibition of going more than 2,000 damot outside of your residence or that permit a person to, to that unite Khatzerot when you have multiple houses and sharing a chacerot. But that's what talking about, Iruf. It's not talking about that oh, well, if the wire is broken, we can halacha ketivariha mekilber. It's not talking about the wire going around the street because that is a not a rabbinic concept. That's, you're claiming that that's really a, uh, a mechitza. That's about, that's a totally different thing. So that's not what they what it means. What? It's definitely not the Rabbanan I mean, at word, at best, you're going to say that carrying in a place without an eruv could be any sort of the Rabbanan but it wouldn't be called an eruv. It has nothing to do with eruv. They just call for some reason the word eruv started be, being used to refer to it, but it's a misnomer. Really, it's called a turaat and so people mi- misunderstand and think that leniency in that... You're already relying on so many leniencies when you use an eruv... That adding any more leniency is like really pushing the envelope. Because you're already relying on so many leniencies... To allow a wire around a city count as a wall. So, um, so now you're going to add more. But the, uh, but I- I've even seen in Svarim... People... I mean... The, People mentioning this idea that you know a lot of people f- incorrectly quote this line of halacha kedivaya mekel beiruv, thinking that it's referring to the eruv around the city, but it's not. It's referring to eruvet So the thing is, so therefore, from that general principle of halacha kedivaya mekel beiruv, you might conclude that um, that halacha follows Rabbi Yochanan Ben Nuri anyway. Right? So maybe you wouldn't need to know the Allahachah follows Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri because he's the lenient one here who says that if you fell asleep in the forest, you get those 2,000 amots. So why would you need both? You might still need both because if you just told me the Allahachah follows Rabbi Yochanan ben Uri that a person falls asleep in the forest, they get those 2,000 amots. You might think that that means ben lekula ben nechuma. That means that we're, we're applying both the leniencies and the stringencies of that. So, what does that mean? Rashi says, "Kegon Adam Yashet," right? That we that since it, it's a leniency for the person, because since the person fell asleep in the forest, if he wakes up and it's already Shabbat, and we don't like, we don't hold like Rabbi Yochanan Ben Uri, he's going to be stuck in the same four amot the entire day. So, therefore, we're giving him leniency. What's the chumrah of Rabbi Yochanan Ben Uri? Rashi says, "Kegon Kleh Hefker," like uh, ownerless items. Ownerless items, according to Rabbi Yochanan Ben Uri. Also, acquire um, a location, and therefore, if you because they don't belong to anyone. In other words, according to Rabbi Yochanan Ben if you would take the uh, more conservative, the stricter interpretation of what he's saying, he's saying that any inanimate object also automatically acquires a uh, a makom, just like a sleeping person acquires a makom, an ownerless object acquires a makom, and therefore, it would mean that if you found uh, if you found a uh, an object that you wanted to take on Yom Tov, let's say, where you're allowed to move it, so you wouldn't be allowed to take uh, things that are care if uh, out of two, out of their techoom, because they have their own techoom, right? That would be the that would be the stringency. So it says you might have thought. That's why we have to tell you That's why we have to come and say that halacha follows the lenient position We're only taking the leniency Of Rabbi Yochanan ben Uri Which is That a person who falls asleep Acquires 2,000 demot In every direction But we're not taking the stringency That objects that are Automatically are limited By a uh, By a, uh, a And wouldn't be able to be uh, Wouldn't be able to be moved Let's say if you had an In a certain direction But this object wasn't yours Before Yom Tov So you wouldn't be able to to claim that you know, it would have its own tichum. We're not going that far and saying The object that's ownerless has its own tichum, Okay, we're, we're saying that you can acquire it now And it becomes yours <speaking in Hebrew> So then why do I need, So that's very nice for why I need To know that it, even if I had the Statement that the halacha follows I still need to know that in general The halacha follows the lenient view of eruv But why do I need, once I know that the halachah follows the lenient view of Eruv, why do I need to know that the halachah follows Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri? They go together. Right? So it's the... You might have thought that that's only true when it's one against one. One rabbi against another. We go like the lenient. Or when it's one group against another group. But you might have, if I told you you might say, well that's true when a bunch of Chachamim are arguing with a bunch of Chachamim. Or one rabbi against one rabbi. But here it's Rabbi Yochanan Ben Uri against everybody. So maybe you'll say there we don't, we're not going to follow Rabbi Yochanan Ben Uri. So therefore it says no, even there we're going to say what, le- what principle of It doesn't apply here. So, uh, I don't understand. This is a rabbinic issue anyway. What difference does it make if it's one rabbi against a group or one against one? Anyway, we're lenient about rabbinic things. So, why can't we just be lenient? Are you serious? You don't make a distinction between... W- ar- w- in rabbinic matters, just because there's an argument, doesn't mean all opinions are created equal. We do care if the majority rules one way and the minority rules another way. Rabbi <laughs> said, that any woman who passed three months and did not have any period, we learned about this in Masachet Nida, she goes three months without a period, so then when she sees for the first time... Right? We don't give her retroactive tum'ah If you remember in Masechet Nidah, We learned that a woman who sees blood Also has a 24 hours um, retroactive tum'ah With regard to uh, taharot With regard to uh, purity and impurity and so there, But we don't say that about a woman Who sees for the first time And we also don't say that According to Rabbi Eliezer About a person who sees blood A woman who sees blood After three months of not seeing any It's considered like totally new So we don't, right, we don't assume that, she, that it's retroactive right and we learned in a Rabbi should say and we and we had a situation where Rabbi followed Rabbi Eliezer la khamshin his car after he realized we don't know what he realized it's going to discuss Amar Rabbi then he said you know what Rabbi Eliezer is good enough to rely on in an emergency so what happened there what do you mean he first ruled like Rabbi Eliezer who was the lenient opinion and also it's a rabbinic issue because it's retroactive to but then he said, after he realized, realized what? We don't know. He said, okay, we can rely on Rabbi Eliezer. So, what does it mean? If it was that he realized that the halacha doesn't follow Rabbi Eliezer, so to follow the rabbis. So then how can you just throw out the correct halachan in a, in a difficult situation and follow Rabbi Eliezer? Rather, The thing is that the halacha was never stated definitively according to either side. Right? So, in other words, initially, yeah. the halacha wasn't mentioned, wasn't established according to either view. So when Rabbi originally ruled according to Rabbi Eliezer, he said, okay, it's not established according to either view. Some people say a woman who hasn't had blood in three months is considered like a totally new and some say it's not because they're totally new. We'll go with the lenient view of Rabbi Eliezer. Then he realized, oh, wait a second. Rabbi Eliezer here is against everybody. He's against Rabbim. Right? He's not against the Yachid. If it was against the Yachid, okay. He's against the Rabbim. So therefore he said, after he realized that he's against the Rabbim, he said, okay, we can rely on it in a, in, a, in a difficult situation. But in general, we would not. But you see from that, that it makes a difference. Whether it's a yachid against Rabim or not Because when he realized it was if, When he thought it was yachid against yachid One person against one person He didn't mind going leniently When he realized it was one person against a majority He said, you know what? I wouldn't normally do this But in an emergency we could do it and similarly Some say it was Are you serious? You don't think there's a difference Between when it's one against a group Versus when it's one against one In rabbinic matters? That's not true this is a In those days, uh, you know, it, it would be common for a person not to know that their relative died um, in time. Because if they lived far away, there was no way for news to travel. They didn't have any instant travel. They didn't have even telegrams they didn't have. Forget about phones and everything like that. They didn't have a way for news to travel. So they had something called Shmuakova. Shmua Kovah. means that you hear within 30 days of the person dying. Shmua khoka means you heard months later, which is possible back then. Very possible back then. Even today, after 30 days, that's what I just said. Even if you, it, today it's even possible if a person is like, for some reason, maybe they're, God forbid, they're sick, and they're not communicative, and they come out of it, and they find out, whatever, there could be, or they're away climbing uh, Mount Everest, I don't know, they, they're not reachable, right? So, so the difference is that Kova, if you hear within the 30 days, so then you have to do a full Shivan Shloshim, even though your family finished the Shivan Shloshim, from when you hear it, you do a Shivan Shloshim. Uh, right. If you hear afterwards, you just do one day. If it's after thirty, you hear six months later, you do one day, and it's actually miktateyon kekulo. So you just do like one minute. what? The regular ones. So you Okay. Whoever the ones that are, you normally do. Yeah. Yeah. What is the Anything within thirty days. It's called close. Anything after 30 days is far. That's what Rabbi Akiva says. The rabbis were more strict. They said, forget about Rabbi Akiva. He's too lenient. We say, whenever you hear about it, you have to do shiva and shloshim. Even if you hear a year later that your relative died, you have to do shiva and shloshim. And they said that, Rabbi Yochanan said that, Anytime you find an individual opinion that's lenient and the majority is strict, we go like the strict. Right? HaMachmirin, HaMerubim. Chutz mizo. Except for this. Shafal Pish, Rabbi Akiva, Mekil Vachamimachmirin. Rabbi Akiva. Here, even though it's Rabbi Akiva that's being lenient against everyone else, we still follow Rabbi Akiva. Okay? What? The earlier thing, about the Tukhun. What about it? One against many. That's the whole point. That's why he's saying to him, he said, What difference does it make? Because Ravah said, What difference does it make that it's one rabbi against many or one rabbi against one? Mm. In rabbinic matters, it shouldn't matter. But you see that they did care that it was one against many, even in rabbinic issues. Oh, because issue. when Rabbi Eliezer had an opinion that was lenient about Nida, they said, Wait a second, you know, it's one against many. And here he's saying, Even though he's one against many, we still rule like him, meaning. Normally, we wouldn't. It's an exception, right? This is a general rule that when it comes to mourning, we say halacha mekel. Halacha is always mekel in all things related to Avelut, also, related to mourning. That's another area where the rabbis were lenient. Okay? And so. halacha mekel that we're talking about. Right, but, 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 the, but you're mixing things, because the whole point is, even when you have a Dura if there's one opinion that says it's allowed, and a hundred opinions that say it's not allowed, we don't say, well, since there's one guy that says it's allowed, I guess it's only Rabbinic, we'll just, talk. that's what they're saying, you don't do that, normally, so right, you don't, right, you, you don't say, oh, it's a safek Dura because one out of a thousand rabbis said it's okay, Safik Dirabanan. we don't usually say that. So here, because halachah ketivari ha-mekel be beevil we do, right? So, ba-veilutu, dakilu baalma Basically, the Gemara said what I just said. Right? But whatever the. In Avelut, we have such a concept that we, are, we go with the lenient opinion, even when it is. against many, many people. But when it's any other area, even a rabbinic area, we care. Because maybe the vast majority has a. you know, there's a reason why they're not agreeing with this one person. Okay? So the, so the fact is that normally we would care. And so, therefore, the only reason why we're going with Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri is because, Halakha ke mekel beirov. That's the only reason. Right? Vrav papa Amar, it's tarich. papa says we need both of these concepts. That, that Halacha ke divreya mekel beirov and also the like Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri. Not just because it's one against many. But also because it says, because Hane because Salke da I Chaminai might have thought Hane milei beirov I might have thought that when do we say that the is because the whole concept is only rabbinic, right? To unify the chatser into one thing, it's totally rabbinic. But I might think that since Erovet Chumin has, I assume the reason is because it has a biblical source, it has a biblical basis, even if it's largely rabbinic, but it has a biblical basis, it's more strict. Therefore, I might say that it's the halachas is not like a divreya mekel, so, therefore, it says, that's why it's z'richa. that's why I need to know that the Rabbi Benuri in the case of Erove Trumet. And where do I get the idea that there's a difference between Erove and Erovet Trumet? we in the Mishnah, that uh, when it comes to Erovei you can actually make an Erovei without telling people. Meaning, you can. And I used to do this every Shabbat. You take bread, you give it to a third party, and you say, "I'm being mizakeh. I'm 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 giving this to everybody all the Jewish people this food, so it belongs to all of us together, even though they don't know about it because it's a zechut. Right. I'm I'm giving it to whoever Jewish people are here, and it's a zechut to that So, but but <laughs> what? You're a you could do it. Yeah, you're doing Erobei chatsirot. In, but in tchumin, you can't go and say, I'm making this tchum on behalf of uh, uh, John. Because, uh, because when you make an Erobei tchumin, you're also chavin adam because now he can't go the other way. You didn't get his permission. In other words, what, what does a person lose if I include them in Erobei chatserot? Nothing. I helped him. Now he can carry in the chatserot, everyone can carry in the chatserot without any uh, prohibition. So what, what did I hurt it? He doesn't lose anything. But if I make an Erovet Chomein on the east, and I say, I'm making this for everybody, a guy will say, I wanted to go to the west. Now I can't go to the west because you made the Erov to the east. It's not, you didn't ask me. So you can't. So you see that Erovet Chomein is considered different than Erovet and, Chatzerot. And, and that's the reason why the, um, why we treat it differently. And you might have thought that. Just because something is lenient With regard to Eruvei Chatserot Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be lenient with Eruvei Tchumin Av HaShemar Yitzrich, you also need to know that Halakha Kedivrei HaMekil Be-Eruv And also that the Halakha follows Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Roy Because Because you might have thought this whole idea of leniency in Eruv Is only with the leftovers of Eruv Because meaning if the food starts to run out But in the beginning you'd say no Okay, and we're gonna see what does it mean. So it's um we so how do we know? how do you know that the leftovers of the eruv are different than the beginning? Didn't we or it could be the Shakeach, if it's talking about the other people. Yeah, Eruv, right? So what does Rashi explain? And he says that what they're talking about there is the amount that you need if you have the amount of food for the Eruv that you put, uh, you put a lot of food, and it ran out, right? And it says, You, have a, you don't have enough food in the Eruv HaTzerot left, right? So it says, so he said, okay, um, uh, and it says, that you need this amount. When do you need this amount? He says, uh, that is, um, either you need it for two uh, seudot for everyone, or a geret in the beginning of the era. he says, but in the end, even if there's a little bit for each person, a tiny amount for each person, not a sufficient amount for each person, it's still okay. Why? Because we didn't want the people to forget the concept of eruv and Rashi says it means to forget the concept of eruv eruv That since really eruv chazerot, I mean sorry eruv tchumin rather, because really eruv doesn't need a measure, shouldn't really need a measurement because it's just a symbolic unifying of the chazerot. Doesn't really need a measurement. They made the measurement so that they would, if they made an eruv tchumin where it's more strict, where actually you have to have. Uh, uh, an amount You're actually making that Your location It has to be more substantial <clears throat> We didn't want them To forget that concept So therefore we insisted At least at the beginning Of the Eruv That it should have A significant amount But if it runs out and it, and it wastes away Then it would be more lenient So you might have thought That when are we lenient About Eruv When it's already been around And established And some problem Comes around later With the Eruv That you know Makes it lesser But maybe in the beginning to establish an Eruv, we don't go like the litniant approach, because you see that here they were concerned more about the beginning, how you established it, than how it, you know, than its continuation. So maybe that's why we needed to know that we still follow Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri if a person falls asleep, but they get that Eruv. Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Zrikam, or Rabbi Akiva, Or The Allah follows Rabbi Akiva if he has a dispute with one person. It follows Rabbi Yossi if he has a dispute with multiple people. Okay, Me'achavirov. Okay, and the Lachat follows also Rebi, meaning Rebi Anasi, From one person Okay when he has a dispute With one person But if the majority is against him Or there's a group against him Not necessarily So What is the uh, significance of this, of this principle here That we have Rashi says in other words, <coughs> they're making a, st- are they giving you actually a, a, a formula? Like whenever you see that it says Rebi against one rabbi, oh, would go like Rabbi. oh, Rabbi against two rabbis, we go against, we go to two rabbis, Rabbi, you'll see it. Are they really giving you a, a, a principle to go by? Rabbi Yassi says yes. Halacha. Rashi says mamash kamrei. Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Zvi, mig Migman, semine Omeb, Adk. Rabbi Yosif, Hey Chadi Achid, Paligale. Hey Rabbi Yosi, Filop Mokom Rabbim. Anytime you see, says Rashi, that it says that it says Rabbi Yosifah against one person, you, you can know that Rabbi Yosifah halacha follows Rabbi Yosifah. And if you see Rabbi Yossi even against the majority, you follow Rabbi Yossi? Literally, that's the halacha. Rabbi Chia Bar Aba Amar Matin. He says no Matin. What does that mean? They're not giving you an actual alacha. What they mean is that if a Rashi explains matin to mean, he says, We don't announce it to the public, this rule. We just If somebody comes and asks you a question, and you know that there's an opinion of Rabbi Yossi, that even though he's against the majority, you can give them uh, Rabbi Yossi's opinion. But if in the community you always go with the majority rule, you don't announce it to everyone. On a one by one basis, you could do it. Rabbi Yossi what it means is near in, not matin. Now, what's the difference? near in, meaning that we don't consider it invalid. Meaning, Rabbi Yossi against the majority is valid even though he's against the majority, but we don't rule that way. We don't rule that way in the first place. So, so there's three... Right. He says, <laughs> We don't return it. Meaning like if they had a din case and they already made the award to one party, they don't make them bring the money back because they followed Rabbi So you have three possibilities. Either it means officially the Halakha follows Rabbi even against the majority all the time. Or it means... Officially, we say the of the majority. But if somebody comes and asks a question, we can give them Rabbi Yossi's opinion. Third possibility is it does, you never rule like Rabbi Yossi against the majority. But if somebody did like Rabbi Yossi, you could say it's okay even against the majority. That's, these are the three possibilities of what they meant when they said their principle. Rabbi Yehuda versus Rabbi Here's some more rules, right? So this is the language that Rabbi Yaakov Bar Iddi said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. When it's Rabbi Meir versus Rabbi Yehuda, we go with Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda versus Rabbi Yossi, the halachah follows Rabbi Yosi. and definitely Rabbi Meir versus Rabbi Yosi, halachah Yossi, right? Because if Rabbi Yehuda is overrides Rabbi Meir, and Rabbi Yossi overrides Rabbi Yehuda, then definitely Rabbi Yossi is going to override. Rabbi Meir also, right? So hashtag Mekom Rabbi Yehuda Letta Mekom Rabbi Yosi So if Rabbi Meir is nothing in the place of Rabbi Yehuda, then definitely in the place of Rabbi Yosi is nothing too, right? So Amar Rabbi Ravasi, Ravasi says Afanilo Med, Rabbi Yosi v'Rabbi Shimon Halachak Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Yosi against Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Yosi wins. He's the heavyweight champion. Shimon, Yehuda if we see that Rebbe Yehuda is able to uh, to uh, overpower uh, Rebbe Shimon and 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 Rebbe Shimon is rendered uh, his opinions thrown out, so makom So then, definitely Rebbe Yossi will override Rebbe uh, Rebbe Shimon also. So 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 much for Rebbe uh, Shimon Bar Yochai for uh, Rebbe Shimon Bar Yochai in a halachic. Um, Championship. He's not very high up. He's got Rabbi Yossi over him, Rabbi Yehuda over him. by the way, Meir, what about Rabbi Meir versus Rabbi Shimon? Because Rabbi Meir was overpowered by Rabbi Yehuda, but so was Rabbi Meir. So, what about the two of them? So it says, "My Teku, That is uh, unresolved. We don't know if it's Rabbi Yossi I'm sorry, if it's Rabbi Yehuda versus Rabbi Meir, the two people who are underneath everyone else. Whether they would, I'm sorry, Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Meir, right? Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Meir, the two that were underneath everyone else, whether they, over, which one of them overpowers the other, it says, take a we don't know. And then we have what? Uh, yeah, it's the Rabbi Meir of the Gemara. So it says, <clears throat> So it says, these rules are not real, says Rabbi Meir. After all these rules that we went through, he says, all these rules... Don't... They're not true. You just have to look at every case on its own. Rashi says, Where you told me this one against this one, this one, so, No, you go with each case. Whichever one makes the most sense, that's the one you follow. We don't have rules for that. Now the next whole Amud, which is very long, goes through proofs that Rav Mesharshiyah's uh, position for and against to try to show that he doesn't think that these klale uh, psika are real klale, right? And the, and the other rabbis argue against it. Uh, but well, it's too much for us to squeeze into the end of the shir. So, Hashem, what will